Our great God and Father, we thank you for the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, he is the perfect one and therefore he gives us precisely what we need. And Father, we pray that we would wake up um, as we read this, as we turn again to Jesus preaching about his return and what that means. Would that wake us up so that we use lives that honor you? Would your spirit so work within us so that our desire is to use all you've given us for the growth of your kingdom, for our good in this world and the next, supremely for the honor of your name. Amen. Now, we would love to know the future. Knowing the future is a very useful thing, uh, apparently. Um, the, the small things, of course, the weather forecast, it has its uses. But in the big things for our own personal lives, great to know, Lord, should I go to this university or that university? And what does my life look like if I go to go here? If I go there, do I meet the uh, the man, the woman of my dreams? Or do I meet them over here or there? Which would be a better place to go, Lord? That would be really useful to know. Lord, do I take this job or that job? And, or do I stay in the job I'm in? If I stay in the job I'm in, what does my life look like in five years? I'd love to know. Or if I jumped over here, would it be better? Oh, I'd love to know that. What's the most useful way for me to serve you, Lord? Is it to, to stay here or to move over there? And if I do those things, what does life look like ten years down the road? What choices do I close off? What do I open up? Wouldn't it be great? I don't think it's just me. Great, wouldn't it, to know the future? Not just for boring things like lottery numbers. Who'd want to know them? No one. Good, good, very good. To know the future is enormously, enormously useful. And yet you come to something like this in Matthew 25 and Jesus tells us what the future looks like. Great! Oh, he doesn't give you specific details of your life, but he says in outline, here's what the future looks like. Here's what you can expect. That is great to know. Now, if you are joining us tonight, um, we, uh, in a little series, we've been working our way through Matthew's Gospel over about eight years, uh, with other things. Uh, and so this term, we're just in Matthew, uh, well, 23 to 25. So, and really chapters 24 and 25, one sermon that Jesus gives merely to his disciples. And it's about the end of the world. Chapter 24, it looks a bit like this. Chapter 25, therefore, you want to live like this. Here's how you should live. And essentially, keep watch. And he tells lots of different stories. You want to keep watch. So we've looked at um, the wise and faithful servant in chapter 24, verses 45 to the end. Keep watch because you'll give an account of your service one day. Uh, last week we looked at the ten bridesmaids in chapter 25, 1 to 13. Keep watch by recognizing there'll be a delay or being prepared for that before Jesus returns. And here tonight, keep watch... By making the most of the assets Jesus has given you. If you're a Christian, Jesus has saved you in order to serve him. And he's given you talents, gifts, assets, and says, There you are. Now grow my kingdom. It's really exciting and brings honor to my name. Often in a parable then, uh, often works this way, there are three characters as it were. There's often a, a, a God figure, a negative example, and a positive example. You've got that here. So we're going to work through it in uh, three, three points. They're, they're not memorable, but they're meant to summarize really what's going on. So Christians are saved to serve, verses 14 to 15. We're faithful for, to Jesus by growing his assets. Who's going to remember that? But it, this is what's going on. Uh, verses 16 to 23. 
And last, we don't know Jesus if we think he's demanding. 24 to the end. Okay, let's go at it. First thing, Christians are saved in order to serve. Chapter 25, verse 14. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey. It, it being the kingdom of heaven. Again, in other words, you've got to learn from what I've said so far. It's a bit like a man going on a journey. And he called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Jesus then compares himself to a master. A master of a household with various servants, and he gives things to his uh, servants to look after. That's quite striking. Master, his disciples are servants. Now that's not particularly flattering. But actually it's worse than that, because... They've softened the blow, as it were, here. Technically, the word here is slaves. There's a very good word in the New Testament for servants. It gets used for servants all the time. Here it's the word for slaves that gets used for slaves. Jesus says, think of it this way. I'm a master. And if you're a Christian, you know that I've rescued you. You owe everything to me. All that you are and all that you have is, is mine. I've bought you by my blood. It's all mine. What is that's incredibly humbling. I have a friend who's a butler. Uh, today, like in the 21st century, I, I used to always think they were only a 19th century thing in uh, period dramas. Um, but no, they're a real butler today. And, uh, you know, he quite likes it. Sometimes his boss is demanding. Sometimes he works with quite a nice character. Gets to see lifestyles of the rich and famous a little bit up close. And he's, um, with his good friends, a little indiscreet, which is quite interesting. But um, he's still a servant, who can leave at any point. He can hand in his notice and say, oh, I've had it. Christians are slaves. We're owned by Jesus. Can't just walk away. So that is deeply humbling. And yet at the same time in this story, it's incredibly ennobling because, uh, verse 15, he, Jesus gives great gifts. So verse 15, to one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent. Now, the footnote is completely wrong. I don't know what they're talking about here. A talent is a lot of money. A talent was ter- in the currency of the day was 10,000 denarii. Earlier on in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 20, one denarius is a day's wage for a laborer. One times 10,000. So I did a quick bit of maths. And if you're on the average wage in the UK... One talent is about a million pounds. If you're on the average London wage, one talent is two million pounds. Oh. Now that's interesting, isn't it? It's like a man going on a journey, verse 14. He called his slaves to him and trusted his property. To one he gave ten million pounds, to another four million pounds, to another two million pounds. Oh, that's quite a lot of money. Yeah, it is. See, on one hand, it's very humbling. We're slaves, says Jesus. On the other hand, very ennobling. I give you serious responsibility in this life. When I entrust gifts to you, I'm not mucking about. Jesus doesn't treat us like children. 
uh, at home. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, it'd be, uh, I need some money for a school trip, right? What do you want to do? It's a theatre. Yes, where's the letter? Okay, you need five pounds to take to pi- pay for the theatre. Five pounds? I'm not giving five pounds to a nine-year-old. Quick, sort of put it in this envelope inside a bag, inside some Velcro and sellotape it all around you 17 times. Because a nine-year-old with five pounds, they're bound to lose it, float out of their pocket, buy a lot of sweets with it. They're not, you know, you don't just give money to a nine-year-old like that. Jesus says, I'm not treating I'm giving you a lot of money. Or in this story, well, it is money in this story. Talent. Here is a master who gives real responsibility and significance. Not just money. Time is an asset that God gives us. Opportunities. Contacts. Relationships. Jesus gives us all these things and says, grow my kingdom with what I've given you. Now, it's important we get this the right way round. Let me just pause, tangent, go for a tangent for this one. The Christian is one who is saved from sin to serve. You've got to get it that way round. Not serve Jesus and you'll get saved. Completely wrong. Saved by Jesus from our sin in order to serve. Uh, let me give you a silly story. Imagine a school. Uh, a school which for some reason tragically has been set on fire. Pupils got a bit angsty and uh, set the school on fire. But it's okay because the, uh, the the fire marshal is very efficient and does his job very well. So everyone gathers in the muster point in the playground and all is well and safe. One teacher somehow has got herself locked in a classroom and a debris has fallen and she is in trouble. She cannot escape on her own. Wonderfully, uh, Mr. Fireman comes along, smashes through things with axe and breathing apparatus and uh, gives his breathing mask to her, drags her out, saves her life. He inhales lots of smoke, is uh, uh, breathing never quite the same again, uh, horrifically burned, um, but he's saved her. Great. Oh, look, three, three ways the teacher could approach that scenario. Two bad, one good. Two mistakes. First mistake. School teacher in her classroom. Right, I'm in trouble. Uh, I'm locked in and there's fire. I'm going to teach my way out of this room. I'm going to teach that fire some algebra. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Uh, uh, B squared equals the square root of all those other things. Um, by Pythag, I shall, you know, and tries all these things to, uh, to drive up. Useless. Useless. You can't teach your way out of a fire. What she needs is the fireman to smash in, drag her out, and save her. Spiritual matters. You don't save yourself. You can't serve in different ways and think, if I just serve enough, I'll save myself from my sin. You can't do that. You need Jesus to smash in, die on the cross for you, and drag you out. It's the only way you can be saved. You need him to come in from the outside. You can't save yourself. Second mistake, teacher, she's in there, uh, fireman pulls her out, saves her, phew, all is rescued, goes home and thinks, well, that was traumatic, I'm never teaching again in my life. I'm staying in my house, I'm claiming my compensation, and I'm claiming benefits, and I'm just going to be here for the rest of my days. Well, the fireman goes to visit her, look, I'm disfigured, my, my breathing is never the same, I've rescued you, what are you doing? And she says, well, I don't need to teach anymore, because I'm not in a fire. Well, no, but you're a teacher. 
that's what you do. I didn't save you for you to sit at home all day long. I saved you in order you could get out there and teach. Again, in spiritual matters, Jesus doesn't save believers just so we say, great, I'm saved. I'll just do whatever I want now. No, we're saved in order to serve. Third approach from the school teacher, uh, she's rescued, pulled out, hooray, I'm saved, great. And now, what a chance I've got. I was about to die, now I'm alive, and I'm going to make the best use of this time. I've got another chance to go, to teach pupils. Great. And off she goes, delighted to be able to do it. The Christian is one who hears this story and thinks, yeah, that's right. Jesus is a wonderful master. He saved me from my sin by dying on the cross for me. And now he says, I've given you gifts and talents and abilities and time and opportunities. And the Christian says, brilliant. I get to serve Jesus as well. I've got a chance to do that. I can do something useful and meaningful with my life. Wonderful. Wonderful. The Christian is one who is saved from sin for service. We're slaves, that's humbling. We're given enormous responsibilities, that's ennobling. That's the Christian life. Okay, so verse 15, the other thing, of course, worth noting, the, the talents given are varied. So one gets five, one gets two, and one gets one, according to uh, ability. Jesus is a very wise Lord and Master. He just gives out gifts as he sees fit, and they're not all the same. Uh, if you're a Christian, our call to salvation is equal. No one is more saved or less saved than anyone else. Impossible. Our call to salvation is equal. Our call to serve is varied. Some people are given enormous gifts. Others less. Who cares? Jesus doesn't worry too much about the size of the gift. He cares about what we do with it, as we'll see in a moment. But there's reality there, isn't there? Some people will. Uh, grow up in a Christian family in the UK and they get a great education and they go off to university and they have all number of choices, um, in one sense, par- paralyzed by choice. What shall I do with the rest of my life? If you're a fan of your student, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I'm fed up with people asking me that question. Um, you know, what am I, you've got all sorts of choices ahead of you about how you might serve Jesus and all sorts of opportunities given the background you've got. Well, that's pretty different from someone who grows up in a Christian family in northern Iraq where children are beheading, sorry, where IS are beheading the children of believers. Your opportunities to serve and the choices you've got are a bit more limited. Just different. Oh, and don't miss him. I'm not saying one is a five-talent life and one's a two-talent. That's not for you or I to judge. Just varied. Our call to salvation is equal, but our calling to serve varies given different gifts. Part of the fun of the Christian life is just working out, who am I, Lord? What have you given me? What's the best way, person that I am, the gifts that I've got, what is the best way I can serve you? You need help to work that out often. That's fun. Christians are saved to serve. Verses 14 and 15. Okay, second thing then, we're faithful to Jesus by growing his assets. We concentrate here then on verses 16 to 23 on the, on the good guys in the story. Can we just, for the sake of brevity, we're going to call them Mr. Five, Mr. Two, Mr. One. Okay? Uh, why are they all misters? I don't know. Just made that up. 
Um, Mr. Five, Mr. Two. Do you want, do you want Mrs. Two? Just to, otherwise, I get in trouble. Mr. Five. But then, why is Mr. Why is the Five guy? Why is the guy got more? Like, Mrs. Five. I'm going to get confused now. Five, two, one. We'll just drop them. Mrs. Uh, five, two, and one. Five, Mr. Oh, so well. Just run with it. Mr. Five and Mr. Two. Mrs. Two. Some things you should script, shouldn't you, in advance? Some things it's fine to work out on the spot. Some things, oh, sorry. The one who got five and the one who got two. Let's pick them up then. Verse 16. The man who'd received the five talents went at once. Immediate. He did three things, actually. He went. He put his money to work. He gained five more. And the, uh, the one with two does the same. By contrast... Three verbs for, uh, for the one, one talent character. Went off, dug, hid. Very different paths they take here. The one with five, the one with two. Their lives are marked by activity. Jesus says Christian hope in the future and his return, you can see it in activity which seeks to grow Jesus' kingdom. That's what faithfulness looks like. Sometimes you might, we can slightly conceive of faithful. He's a faithful man. They're a faithful family. They just sit in the room with no one there and preach the truth all day long and they really are faithful to the Bible. Yeah, but if there's no one else there, really, what are they doing? Faithfulness is seen in activity here, which seeks to grow the kingdom of God. Faithfully. Mr. Five and Mr. Two. Now, look, there are a few people in the church who started companies over the last few years, particularly after 2009. Some people made redundant. Oh, I'll start a company. And um, it doesn't matter, actually, if you've got how brilliant a product you've got, how much um, financial backing you've got, how many contacts you've got. No one starts a company and gets it off the ground without hard work and taking some risks. It's about to go out on your own. It's a big deal. And Jesus is saying, yeah, the Christian life's a bit like that. I've given you various resources. Have a go. Have a go. Get busy. Take risks. See what happens. You might enjoy it. That's Jesus' point. Use what I've given you to grow my kingdom. Verse 16, what does it mean, um, uh, they gained five more, this man, he gained five more? Or verse 17, the one with two talents gained two more? What does that mean? Well, you don't want to push too many details too hard in a parable. The point of the parable is get busy to, to make the best use of what Jesus has given you. But interesting elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel, so for example, chapter 18, if you pull a brother back from sin, you gain him, same word. You share the gospel with someone, they become a Christian, you gain them. So I think it's fair to say at least part of what is being spoken of here is seeing people grow as Christians, you encourage them to keep going as Christians, you explain the wonderful message of Jesus' salvation so people become Christians. That is the work of faithfully using what Jesus has given you to be involved in that sort of stuff. Our task here and now is to take the talents in the sense of gifts, abilities that Jesus has given us and use them to grow his kingdom. That's what the master expects.
but you've got to get the relationship right. Um, it's a fairly pathetic story of my youth, but uh, I grew up uh, in a small village, and um, one of my friends uh, at school, he was basically, the, the, his family, one of a number of kids, but his family were the wealthiest family in the village. And you kind of work these things out as a child, that your life is a bit different. You go and visit their house, and they've got a swimming pool in their garden, and a tennis court. And you realize, oh, that's just a bit different from where we live. And uh, times have changed, and people travel all over the world quite easily now. When I was growing up, I know it's quite a long time ago. But um, I never went overseas till I was 14 years old. For me, exotic was Cornwall. Cornwall is exotic. They had palm trees in Cornwall. And then you realize, actually, they're not palm trees, they're cabbage trees, which is a bit disappointing because cabbages aren't very exciting. But this was a family that had, that had houses overseas. They had a house in Italy and a, and a, and a chalet in Switzerland. They were just, wow, and, and the toys in this household were amazing. And they were just a really nice family, and it was, you know, I was pleased to have them as my friends. When I was about, I was about seven, maybe eight, that family adopted a little girl, or similar age. And, oh, that's interesting, you never known that before. There's a whole new world, adoption, what's that then? You learn one or two things about that. And this girl didn't know who her father was, her mum, complete chaos, unable to look after her. Uh, this girl had been in and out of children's homes for a number of years. So a messed up life, and um, you know, one year here, two years there, and that had been her life until about the age of eight years old. And this family, this family of extraordinary resources, had adopted her and completely changed her life. Here's the really sad thing. I remember observing this and thinking, I'd quite like to be adopted by that family. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. I just don't, you know, covetous thing that just for the sake of toys, for the sake of Lego, I would have sold my birthright. Um... And I remember, you know, but I remember observing this girl. She came into our school. She was a year above, but came in, and everyone knew she was, you know, hopeless at school, years behind everyone else. But you know, she did all right and made some progress, and then went to the local secondary school and actually just worked really hard. Got A levels, went off to university, became a vet, opened her own practice. Her life completely changed around. Now, look, when we were about nine, something like that, it's a terrible conversation. But I remember asking her, having a conversation with her one day and saying, so, Nicola, the family you've joined, they're, you know, they're really wealthy, aren't they? Well, yeah, I guess they are. Why do you bother doing any work? Why do you bother? They've got a swimming pool and a tennis court. And whatever you do in life, You'll always have loads of money. It's very interesting, even at age nine or ten, she'd got this. She said, yeah, my life is completely turned around. I am loved. I have brothers and sisters now. I have a mum and dad now. And I know whatever I do, I'll be loved. They've told me that, and I believe them. But at the same time, I have so many opportunities now I can choose what do I want to do with my life. And I want to grab hold of every chance and every opportunity I've got. I don't know if I'll ever pass an A-level. I don't know if I'll go to university. Actually, she turned out to be really quite bright. I don't know about those things. But I'll give it a go and see what happens. And you think, yeah, great. I mean, I was like, oh, why do you do any work? Just play with Lego all day. Um, 
far more mature response. And her response, in one sense, is the response of a Christian to a story such as this. I've been saved. I've been brought into the family of God. And my Father loves me. Whatever I do, however I use his resource, my Father loves me. But I want to, I want to make the use of every opportunity I've got. I want to grasp hold of it. I want to do everything I possibly can. And that's the right response here. Christians know they've been brought into the most wonderful family, that Jesus is a wonderful master. And so we work hard to maximize his kingdom. So practically, be active (laughs) with the time, the talents, the money, the opportunities that God has given you. Use them. Be active with them. You know, you got at some point you have to sit down with yourself. How do you do that? I don't know. Some point you got to sit down and think, what am I do? Am I? What is the? What gifts has God given me? What's the best way of using them? You know, I've just moved to London for a job, or I've just moved to London to study. What am I going to do? How am I going to organise my time? The Lord has given me. Okay, I've got to do my studies. You know, I may have. You know, whatever. 50 hours a week in one institution studying. I might have three at another institution. Who can tell? But, you know, I'm going to use these. I'm going to use whatever I've got to serve the Lord. And take risks. Like these guys do, Mr. Five and Mr. Two. Take risks. Take risks with money. Don't miss him. It was a gamble, anything like that. But every time you, you give money away, it feels a bit risky. Oh, when I need that money, I don't know. Well, I'll just have a go. It's not our money anyway. It belongs to Jesus. With our time. Have I got time to do this, to help out here? If I leave now to go and encourage my small group to, to go to whatever student KG, I won't be able to study. I'll be the first to leave the office. Yeah, well, you've got to make a judgment call on these things, but it's not your time anyway. It's Jesus' time. He's lent it to you for the next 70 years. It goes pretty quickly. He's lent you time. Use it for him. What about relationships? Jesus has given you and put people around you that you know. And you think, well, I know I should probably let people know I'm a Christian, but it's a bit risky doing that. What if they don't like me? What if they get angry about various things? Well, they're not your relationships. Jesus has given them to you. He's given you every opportunity you've got. Use them for him. Have a go. That's the encouragement of a parable such as this. Not a lot happens without activity. Not a lot happens without taking a few risks. It, I mean, it's a tangent in one sense, but, uh, you know, a few months ago we decided we we're going to try two evening services here instead of one. Is that a good idea? I wasn't sure. I still don't know. But partly I just thought, well, you read something like this and you think, well, let's have a go. If it works, brilliant. If it doesn't, oh well. We'll survive, we'll pick up the pieces. Hard work in the meantime, but it doesn't matter. You've got to try things. You've got to try things. Jesus, you've given us various opportunities. We're in this city at this moment with these people. What are we going to do? Let's have a go. Maximize, grow the kingdom of God. That's why we're here. We're faithful to Jesus by growing his assets. Oh, look, verse 19, the master returns. And settles his accounts. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received the five talents brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. 
I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This day is the award ceremony beyond compare. You ever see the Oscars or the BAFTAs? Everyone's dressed up and it's a nice meal. Because you get a nice meal or that sort of thing. And everyone has a few drinks, maybe a few too many. Uh, oh, very good, very good. Oh, lovely. Mm. Uh, and it's, you know, that is a stale cheese sandwich of about six months you find behind the fridge compared to this award ceremony before the living God. And what does he say? Yeah, well, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Why is he faithful? Because he's been busy and used what the master had given him. And here's your reward, two things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Possessions and joy. It's interesting. Joy, I think we get. Be rewarded with joy. Well done for how you lived your life here on earth. Come and enter into the delight of the Trinity. Come and enter into the eternal relationship of Father, Son, Spirit, of perfect love. Come and enter into the joy of seeing God face to face. I think we get that. Possessions? Really, Jesus? It was a bit odd. Shouldn't I just serve Jesus because I love him? Or because he's saved me? And I'm just wonderfully thankful. Yes, and, and yes, those are great. But Jesus also serve him because you'll be rewarded. It's his encouragement. Possessions? Oh, I don't get hung up, I guess, on the detail. I always found C.S. Lewis helpful on this. What, what is a reward in heaven if it's sort of physical thing? Don't think of it as a sort of gold watch you get after 20 years service. You know, well done, have an engraved gold watch. Uh, not quite like that. But the reward is intrinsic to what you've done. So C.S. Lewis gives the example. A man marries a woman. If he marries her, he doesn't really like her, but he marries her because she's rich. And he marries her for her money. We say, that's appalling. That's mercenary. That's despicable. If a man marries a woman because he loves her, and he just wants more time with her, he wants to share the rest of his life with her, we say, it's entirely right, entirely appropriate. If you serve Jesus because you want money, that'll be weird. If you serve him because you, you want more of him, that's entirely natural. So it makes sense if, if the reward is attached or in some way connected to the labor that we've put in. That makes sense to us, I think. Mr. Two Talents, verse 22 he also came, Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you see it's precisely the same words as verse 21? You've been faithful with a few things. I've put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Different levels of gifting, precisely the same reward. Jesus is not interested fundamentally in the quantity of our achievements but in the quality of them. Someone here might have a future like a Billy Graham and preach the gospel to hundreds of thousands of people and see tens of thousands of people become Christians. Good on you. Someone else here might be 
Sally Small and live in Little Piddle in the Whittle, a village of 10 people, and you share the gospel with all 10 of them, and one of them becomes a Christian. Well done, you. Our results, you leave them to Jesus. Have you been faithful with the opportunities you've been given? The resources in front of you. One person, incredibly talented, can achieve phenomenal things. One person, not particularly gifted, never set the world on fire. But have you been faithful with what Jesus has given you? That's the question. He's not going to ask, what did you achieve? But, were you faithful with what I gave you? See the difference? So none of us can say, oh, I'm just one talent. I've got no money and no time. I don't know anyone. I've got no friends. I've got no future. I can't do anything. Just do what you can. If that's you, I'm sorry. Um, but do what you can. Do what you can. You can still hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We're faithful to Jesus by growing his ass. Very briefly, the last bit. We don't know Jesus, thirdly, if we think he's demanding. 24 to the end. Oh dear, Mr. One. Verse 24. Then the man who'd received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Do you see what he accuses master of? Verse 23. Excuse me, verse 24. Hard man unscrupulous capitalist gathering where he's not sown. Mr. One says, I've not done anything with what you gave me and it's your fault. Because you're so scary, I was paralyzed. I just didn't know what to do. Nothing here, no recognition that he's been given a wonderful gift. No recognition that he serves a generous master. No love here. Here is a man, in Jesus' parable, who looks upon Jesus and sees him as demanding. Here's someone who, a bit like the school teacher, tries to serve their way into the kingdom of God. You, know, you completely misunderstood Jesus. Know that you're saved. Give thanks and say, oh, brilliant, what can I do? I'm saved. There's no fear if you understand this. Number five and number two, they're not fearful. They say, yeah, we get to serve Jesus. Great. Let's do what we can. Number one is scared. Because he doesn't get that he's already saved. He doesn't understand grace in his life. If you read this sort of parable and are scared, and think, wow, I, I don't know, what will, what will Jesus make of me? If you're scared, I don't think you've understood Jesus. He saves, and then says, enjoy serving. Give your life to serve me. It's exhilarating, if you understand it rightly. And we're saying, of course, if you're a Christian, you are a success. You're known by the God. You're loved by him. You have a great name that's been given to you. These are not things you achieve. They're all gifts you've already received. 
The girl I grew up with, Nicola, she was never scared of letting down the family. She knew she was loved. But thought, oh, I just made the most of this. Fabulous opportunities. Verse 26, Jesus replies, or the master replies, look, essentially says, look, by your own logic, you've screwed up. Verse 26, you wicked servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I'd have received it back with interest. Okay, let me just run with your logic. You say I'm sort of like an unscrupulous capitalist who's always demanding money. You could have at least put it in the bank. You've got some interest on it. You did nothing. Oh, you've got that really wrong. Failing to use the gifts that God has given because you're scared, you've misunderstood Jesus. This sort of that laziness is wow, it's sin. Verse twenty-eight, the master says, Take the talent from him, give it to the one who has the ten. For everyone who has will be given more, and he'll have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what he has will be taken. And throw that worthless servant outside into darkness. And in the common phrase of Matthew's Gospel, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, look, some find that shocking. But you do know, don't you, that in the New Testament, there is never an example of someone who becomes a Christian and fails to change. The whole logic of becoming a Christian, conversion, Jesus is now your master. You become a Christian and your life changes. So we're given the paradigm, Zacchaeus, Levi, Meet Jesus, converted, their lives are turned upside down, they change. There's never in the New Testament someone who's genuinely born again and doesn't change. There's always a willingness to serve. We are slaves of a wonderful master. He really is very good. He saved us. And now he says, I've given you opportunities, I've given you gifts. Use them. Use them to maximize my kingdom. I tell you what, you should really enjoy that activity here and now. It's great. Makes life worthwhile, meaningful. And then, know the reward. Great joy. Great possessions, whatever that means. But you'll be rewarded. I became a Christian university near the end of my first year through the faithful witness of uh, some good Christian friends. And... um, uh, I was baptized uh, just at the beginning of my second year at university, uh, along with a few others at church. And we were quite excited. It was quite fun. We went to these swimming pools um, and uh, got down there. And uh, But one of the guys was in his 50s. He, I, to my shame, can't remember his name. He was a window cleaner, and I worshipped with him the next two years or something. But um, I remember chatting to him, and we were chatting. Oh, it's great getting baptized. You become a Christian. Yeah, I become a Christian. Great. And we were both excited. But at one point, he said to me, you know, I envy you. I am so thrilled that I've become a Christian. But I've wasted most of my life. You've got most of your life ahead of you. Young man, don't waste your life. Give it to Jesus. I really wish I could take back the last 30 odd years. No, it's a sort of conversation you don't forget actually. Don't waste it. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the most wonderful Saviour who comes, enters this, has entered this world and saved us from sin if we're trusting in him so we can have an eternity of glory with you. 
And then beyond that is a wonderfully generous master who says he has work for us to do here and now. Would we make the best use? Would we take the assets, the time, the money, the opportunities, the relationships that God, that Lord Jesus has given us and use them to grow his kingdom? Father, work in us that ambition so that we look back when we finally reach heaven and say we are thrilled with the way we use the gifts you've given us. We pray for our good, but supremely the honour of Jesus' name. Amen.